Praise the Lord, saints. It is good, and saints means consecrated or set apart for God's use. And of course, you know we are in a consecration, a 21-day consecration in our church. Um, start counting today. We have eight more days. We end on next Sunday, and truly the Lord has been good to us. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to also start out with this uh, Sunday school question that is for children 17 years old and under. Here is the question of the week and send your answer to the email address below the screen and hopefully you'll be one of the winners of the gift card. Micah chapter 6 verse blank states, God has told you, O man, what is blank, and what does the Lord require of you but to do blank, and to love blank, and to blank blank with God. So you know that's the scripture that we've been using, and we trust that you will fill those blanks in, and Hopefully, you receive what the Lord would have for you um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're living in some serious times here, and I usually don't, well, I try not to sing, but I just want to uh, just briefly sing this hymn that will remind you that God has everything under control. And if you know it, you can sing it right where you are at your home. They, they don't have the, um, the words, at least I didn't know. warn them about this, but I just felt led in my heart to sing this. I will make the darkness light before thee. What is wrong? I'll make it right before thee. And all thy battles I will fight before thee and the high place I'll bring down. Let me say that again. The Lord says, I will make the darkness light before thee. What is wrong? I'll make it right before thee and all thy battles I will fight before thee and the high place I'll bring down. Here's a chorus. When thou walkest by the way, I'll lead thee. On the fatness of the land, I will feed thee. And a mansion in the sky, I'll deed thee. And the high place I'll bring down. One more time. When you walketh by the way, the Lord will lead you. On the fatness of the land, I'll feed you. And a mansion in the sky, I'll deed thee. And the high place. I'll bring down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
he's going to bring it down by his grace. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 20. If that song blessed you, you remember those old hymns, that, that richness, as even, thank you, Brother Tommy, for singing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. If that blessed you, just put it in the chat. Hey, I remember that song when I was a kid, the high place I'll be down, bring down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 20, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is the text we've been using for the last few weeks. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all this old life to new life stuff is a gift from God who, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of, of reconciling people to him. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ reconciling the world, people of the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message or the King James Version says, this ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. I want to share with you on this final sermon on the series, Ship Movers, Part 5, Agreeing with Others. Ship Movers, Part 5, Agreeing with Others. We said in over the past two weeks, and now this is the third week, that the qualities of a ship mover, and we were saying before that each of us, if this fellowship called Pentecostal Tabernacle is going to move the way God wants it to move, if this battleship is going to break through the gates of hell, we are all going to have to grab our oars in order to move this ship called Pentecostal Tabernacle, this fellowship. And everybody needs to grab their oar to make it move. However, however, the only way that this is going to move properly is that you have to have the three qualities of a good, godly ship mover. And that is, number one, you must walk you and I must walk in agreement with God. Number two, we must walk in agreement with ourselves, meaning that our identity must come from God and not from people and not from ourselves. Our identity must come from the Father, God. And today we want to talk about agreement with others, agreement with each other. Now the word reconcile uh, in English, it means to bring into agreement or to bring into harmony. That's why the Bible says, I believe that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, uh, it is considered the church's birthday. In Acts chapter 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were of one accord. In other words, God clearly says that he commands his blessing, Psalm 133, he commands 
his blessing where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And that's why it's important that we, we really come into agreement with each other. Why? Because that's where God has insisted that that's where he will send his blessing. In fact, that was Jesus' prayer. His final prayer was not the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That's the disciples' prayer that he taught his disciples, you and I, his followers. The Lord's prayer, his heart is in John 17, I believe it is. He says, make us, make them one just like you and me, Father, are one. He wants us to live in agreement. He wants us to live in harmony. Um, Paul Throughout the scriptures, Paul is constantly fighting uh, the battle and, and imploring the body of Christ to, to keep unity in the bond of peace. Even this whole letter of 2 Corinthians is talking about, look, you all, we have to walk in agreement and walk in harmony. See, this word reconciliation, it comes from our English word reconciliation, the etymology, it comes from two Latin words, re, which means again, and uh, consolare, which means to bring together to recover, to restore, or to reestablish. So when you're reconciling something, you are bringing it together again, meaning that somehow it was together in the original form or somehow it was together at one time, but now it is no longer together, so we got to bring it back together again. We got to recover it again. We got to restore it again. We have to reestablish it again. Now, it is imperative that we understand that God is coming after us in this season and in this week. I'm excited that I really believe that this is the year that we're in revival and God is doing some spring cleaning during this consecration. If you understand what I'm talking about, you can put in the chat, amen. I believe that we do not understand how serious God is about walking in agreement. I believe that we don't understand how serious it is when it comes to God, with, when it comes to our walking in a place of not living in offense. In fact, God is so serious that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, he says, forgive us, this is how you should pray, forgive us, and this is the contemporary English Bible, forgive us for the ways we have wronged you just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. Have you forgiven those who have wronged you? He goes on to say in the New Century Version, forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. God is serious about this. The Passion Translation says this, forgive us, our, forgive us the wrongs we have done. Forgive us for the wrongs we have done as we ourselves also have released forgiveness to those who have wronged us. When we were raised in Pentecostal Tabernacle, at least me and my wife and Mother Watson and her sister, Sister Edith Watson, they taught us the Lord's Prayer. And they used this version, forgive us our trespass 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And this is the new Matthew Bible. And that word trespass is an interesting Latin word. It's trust meaning, tress meaning across, trans, tress, across, and pass, it means to step. So forgive us when we have crossed the line with you. Just as we have forgiven those who crossed the line with us. Saints, for the last few weeks, particularly this week, those of you who have been to Midnight Prayer and Morning Prayer, God has been coming after our church and dealing with how he is grieved, upset, and tired of talking to us about us constantly carrying offenses against other people. I remember at midnight, the Lord was dealing with us, and people at times were grieving and weeping and repenting. And somebody said, how many times has God has to talk to us about this? And they reminded me, I didn't even realize it, they reminded me that at the beginning, my first sermon, my first sermon, January 5th, you can look it up, January 5th, 2020, my first sermon of the year was about us dealing with offense and how it grieves God and God is upset with us constantly holding each other in the space of unforgiveness. And we've gotten so comfortable with it that we even take, we even take communion without even batting an eye. And I heard the Lord saying, and this was at the end of December, he said, Brian, I'm going to deal with this one more time. And, and this may be one of the last times I'm going to talk about this. It is interesting that when the disciples prayed to Jesus and they said to Jesus, increase my faith, they didn't say increase my faith so I can do more miracles. They never asked Jesus, increase my faith so I can heal more people. The time in the scriptures when they responded to Jesus, increase my faith, is when it came to the fact that Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, if your brother offends you, Peter thought he was being very spiritual when he said, should, we, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, no, forgive him. 70 times seven times. And when Peter heard that, he's, that's when they said, read it for yourself, Lord, increase my faith. Because I need faith to forgive somebody who has trespassed, crossed the line, mm, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth time. You're talking about me going up to 490, which really was more Jesus saying, you need to keep forgiving. Oh, it's quiet right here.
God is serious about this. He is serious about this forgiveness thing. He's serious about us stop taking offense. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus said offenses are going to come. You are going to be offended. And some of you right now, you are, I'm tired of white people always crossing the line. And I'm talking, you know what? Jesus was tired on the cross. In fact, Jesus is tired of you doing the same offense over and over and over again, and yet he still forgives you. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if because of our lack of forgiveness, that there's some bondages that God is saying, I'm not going to let you go until you let people go. Mm. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, this scripture, Paul says, for, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the New Living Translation says, love does not demand its own way. As a matter of fact, the, the, before it, Paul says, love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Oh, Lord have mercy. Some of you are so irritated with other members or departments of this church. That's right, I said it. And he says, love is not ever irritable. And love keeps no record of being wrong. Someone put it this way. We want to treat people, we want God to treat us with grace, but we treat people with law. We want God to forget our sins, but we remember when someone sinned or offended us. And it's amazing the foolishness that it happens in our church because we are so quick to take offense. There's things that I want to do and I have to think about, okay, who's gonna be offended by this before I do this? If we do this, who's gonna be offended? Who's gonna be, I'll say, bent out of shape? This word, it's interesting that when the scriptures talk about offense, it, it, it's, it's, it uses the word take offense. Take offense. It's, it's almost like you will be offended, but you don't have to take the offense. And it, oh, this boy is preaching up in here. It's not about, you know, I don't have to take it. No, it, it, it's like, it's like we, it's almost like we drive to the takeout window. And we, it's like we order offense. I'll take some offense. And and we we like, thank you for the bag of offense. I'll be back tomorrow because there's something else you'll be offended about. Hmm. Take offense. But here's the problem. The word offense, it's it's a Greek word, scandalon. And you see in that word, Scandalon, that's where we get our English word scandal. When God sees an offense that we take, it's a scandal. It's a scandal against his body. It's a scandal against his blood. It's a scandal against all that he died for. 
fact, this word scandal means a movable stick or a trigger of a trap. An injury, a strike against. What are you saying, Bishop? If you want to know what offense looks like, when you see certain people, do you get like a a little pain in your spirit? When you hear their name, do you like go? When, 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 when you were in church, because there's some of you right now, you've been carrying offenses so long that you actually carried the offense, the offense into the pandemic. Anyways, I'm, look, I ain't afraid of you. Let me tell you something. You need to understand. You know, like when you see Sister Applesauce on one side of the church, a brother, Butterbean, I'm making up names so you all don't get offended, that you, 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 oh, sister, such and such, all of a sudden, because, and, you, and your eyes on the corner like, something, you know what, I, honey, you need to sit up front here so I can slap you five, because, yeah, so, yeah for real, okay, because, because some of you, some, some of you, let me come down here so that you can see my eyeballs, some of you were so happy that we have two campuses. I didn't know, no, since when have you been coming through the 830 service? Oh, I just felt led of the Lord. No, you didn't. The person who you had an offense with went to the 1130, and you don't want to deal with them anymore, so you change services. That's a bad word right there. God ain't playing with us, folks. We're talking about, oh, get justice out there. We can't even get justice right with the person we sit with in the same pews. And every time something happens, we automatically go there. What do you mean? As soon as somebody does something that we don't like, we automatically go to the negative and and almost put them in the place of saying, I know what you did was of ill motivation. Woo! Turn to somebody and say, I'm trying to help you. Bishop's trying to help you. He really is. Because we need to, we, we, we need to get beyond the offense I want to read to you a letter, a letter, I call it a letter from the offense prison, the offense prison. Yep, the person who hurt you can't get in, but you can't get out. Let me read to you the letter from the offense prison. And if it fits you, this is a good time to repent because this is consecration. Matthew chapter 18, verse 28 to 34. Talks about the fact that there was a servant who owed millions of dollars to the king. 
And the king forgave him as he pleaded with the king, please forgive me my debt, I'll get it to you. And the, and the king said, I know you can't even pay this debt, so you know what? Instead of giving you more, Lord have mercy, instead of giving you more time, I'm simply going to expunge and remove the debt as if you never owed me anything. It said no sooner had the servant left when, meaning no sooner had that servant who had been given, forgiven, left, 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 left the king when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him one day's salary. Just one day's salary. He seized him by the throat and he began to choke him saying, you better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at, the, at his feet and begged, please be patient with me, just give me some time. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there in that prison until that servant repaid the debt in full. When his associates, when his partners, when the other members saw what was going on, they were outraged and went to the king and told him the whole story. The king said to him, that is the servant who, forgive, who refused to forgive, in the, in the, in the, um, in the Hebrew it says this, you, you servant of the devil. When you, mm, when you don't forgive, you're doing the devil's work. Is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me and I forgave you. The massive debt you owe me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that, you, that I showed to you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was paid in the same way, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way. The scripture says, my heavenly father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart, that is your attitude, toward your fellow believer. In Galatians chapter 6, where it says you reap what you sow, Paul says to the church of Galatia, Galatia in, chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, as often as we have opportunity, do good to all those who are part of the household of faith. Mm. Do good. Ah, do good. You see, here's the problem with living in the prison of offense is that there's an illusion of freedom. Because you're not actually stuck behind bars. You actually have freedom. You can go up. <laughs> Watch this, honey. You can go up to another level. 
you are near the cross. And so there's an illusion that you're free, but you don't realize that you have been bound because of your unforgiveness. And the only way that the fence, the prison of forgive, unforgiveness, the only way you can get out of here is that you have to forgive. There's only one way out, and that's through the blood of Jesus and you giving forgiveness. Here's a frightening thing. David says in Psalm 66, verse 18, you can look it up for yourself. He says, if I hide iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. One of the definitions of that word iniquity is idolatry. Anything, including offense, that replaces God is idolatry. What do you mean? So, so if God tells me to forgive and I refuse to forgive, then the unforgiveness becomes an idolatry. If God tells me to let it go, well, they owe me money. They didn't pay me back. And God said, well, you owe me a whole lot more. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Now, unless you think that, oh, Bishop, you know, you preaching. Let me, t- let, me, let me talk about me. Let me talk about me. Because, see, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that the anointing flows from the head down. So I'm trying to make sure that I don't become the clog that stops the anointing flowing in PT. And, and so I'm talking about me, that as the Lord, he's been coming after us all week about forgiveness, all week. And the Lord, and, and so I have been, I've, I've had to, I've had to do a number of apologies during this season. It's a dangerous thing when you go into consecration, Tommy, because God won't play with you. What are you saying, Bishop? I'm talking about me. And if you don't want to be accountable, you better, you better get offline right now because God is coming after this thing called unforgiveness or offending somebody and not apologizing. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So, the Lord, as I started meditating on this, the Lord brought somebody to my memory who, who I, haven't ta- I haven't spoken to this person in over a decade. And I knew they were mad at me, and my attitude was, that's their problem. No. Like, I, had a, I, I actually had a right to say that's their problem, but the Lord's, as, as we started getting into consecration, the Lord said to me, well, why don't you see, where were you wrong in this, Brian? And I was like, well, I, I, think, I'm, I think I was okay. And the Lord started pointing out to me where I was wrong. So I sat down, and many of you know I'm famous for my cards. And I wrote a card out, and I knew they were hurt by me. 
And so I wrote on the outside of the card so that they wouldn't tear it up, I apologize, which probably shocked them. And I wrote them and I said, this is, this is my email address. When you're ready, because they were so angry at me that they're like, I don't ever want to see your face again. I mean, I've, I've never had anybody that angry at me, but my attitude was, look, that's your problem. I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to be held accountable for how you feel. But the Lord said, no, 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 you are. I'm holding you accountable for how they feel. So I sent them my email address, and I said, when you're ready, email me back. I will send you a Zoom link because I want to talk to you face to face. You say, okay, Bishop, that's easy. Well, let me get, let me get even deeper. Yesterday, for those of you who are at our leadership um, meeting on Zoom, I had hurt somebody, one of our leaders. It wasn't that I said anything maliciously. It wasn't that I said anything that wasn't true. It's just that I knew what I said hurt that person. And the Lord said, you hurt that person. You need to at least call them and say, Lord, I apologize for hurting you. But this is, no, this was not personal. But my attitude was like, look, come on, let's be a big boys and big girls. Like, and, and the Lord just kept nudging at me, kept nudging at me. And those of you on the leadership meeting, I, I actually spoke about who the person was. And, and, and I remember... I remember during the consecration, because um, we're in, uh, she says, I remember the Lord waking me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's not unusual because you know, I'm up anyways at time. But the Lord said to me, you need to, you need to apologize. You, you need to apologize. And so I wrote out an email because I said well, it was too early, too early to be sending a text. So I wrote out an email. And the, and the person responded and they said, Bishop, thank you, this is an answer to prayer because I was up at 1.30 trying to figure out how I would respond to how you hurt me. And then what I did, and this is a lesson, this is what I did was because it was in a meeting that I hurt this person, I held myself accountable by sending a copy to the other person who was in the meeting to let them know that I didn't just let, that I didn't just apologize in secret when they were in the circle. I want to live free. Wow, Bishop. Woo, this is some serious. So God is serious. Let me tell you how serious God is. Because the deeper you get in this consecration, as you know, the more God kind of does surgery. So after we had, and it was a powerful time, once once the leader released, asked for forgiveness and, and, and put his stuff out there, then there was apologies and I'm sorry for how I offended you. I'm sorry for how I hurt you. If I hurt you, there were even private chats going on. It was, a, I mean, that was one of the most powerful leadership meetings we ever had because people were getting free of offenses. And as, I've been, as I was praying and I was praying and the Lord said to me, Ooh, you are not going to like me, but I'm telling you, you are not going to like this. 
the Lord reminded me of a couple that I had offended over 20 years ago. And at first I was like, that's the devil. (laughs) He's just making me feel guilty. And here's the beauty. I'm going to tell you the difference between guilt and conviction. Okay? Guilt drives you from God. Guilt is like a harassing demon. It just, it torments. God, when he brings conviction, he draws you to himself. And if you're resistant, he'll say, okay, I'll come back another time. And so over the last 24 hours, I felt God. And I was like, God, is this you? I'm not sure. And I'm like, man, to go back 20 years, that's, oh. And, and I felt and, and some of you know that I go on a prayer walk every morning and I'm walking with God and he's speaking and, and I'm praying in tongues. And the Lord said to me, before you preach this message, you need to contact them and tell them you need to, that, I, that you need to speak to them before service. And so I said, I know this is weird. I text him, I said, I know this is weird, but I owe you an apology for something that happened years ago. And so they responded like, yeah, this is weird, because we have a great relationship. It wasn't like the offense hurt our relationship. It wasn't wasn't like the the first one where the person like basically like, I hate your guts, like that was a, (laughs) you know, that was a, we'll see what happened. But this one was like, we're talking, we're friends, we're happy, but, but the Lord says you need to apologize. And here's a funny thing, uh, and I told my wife about it because I'm always trying to hold myself accountable. Even the, even the note that I wrote to this person, I told somebody who knows you know, both of us, and I said, I'm, I'm writing this, I'm holding myself accountable. We was quiet in here because we want to do it in quietness, in secret. Nobody has to know. The accountability keeps us safe. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ooh, it's quiet. That's all right. That's all right. I'm trying to help you. If you do this, you'll love me later. You'll say, Bishop, that was the best sermon you preached, not because it was good, but because of the results that it produced. And so I, I, um, they sent me the Zoom, they sent me their Zoom link at uh, 9 a.m. They said, we're going to meet at 9 a.m. Don't you know that when we got on a Zoom link, I couldn't even make the connection? You talk about the devil. And this is the beauty of it. When I told them what I was apologizing for, they immediately remembered. Now, they had forgiven me. They had let it go. But when I said what it was, they immediately remembered. And, and this is what, this is, oh, thank you. I was so blessed by this. They said to me, I know this is God. For you to humble yourself and apologize to us about this, I know this is God. Mm. I, like many of you, uh, I'm almost finished. I only got two more points. I, like many of you, uh, listened to the amazing uh, poem by 23-year-old 
23. Uh, she'll be 23 this year. I think she's 23 already. But anyways, we'll say 22. You're right, honey. I'll just say 20. You're right. Uh, Amanda Gorman, who actually has, actually she has this twin sister. And she wrote a poem called The Hill We Climb. And as I was listening to that poem that she gave on behalf of the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. As I was listening to this, I was like, oh my goodness. You could take her poem and put it on this pulpit and speak to Pentecostal Tabernacle. And so without any further ado, I'm gonna ask Amanda if she will just preach for about four minutes to us. And, and, and what was powerful about it is that even in her poem, she talked about reconciliation. She actually used the word reconcile. So why don't you just listen to this briefly, and then I'll make one more point, and then we will pray. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam President, Could we start that over without the music? Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this 
is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it, because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid, the new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. If only we're brave enough to see it and brave enough to be it. The line she said about daring to leave 
the world better than what was given to you. For me, it's leaving this church better than what was given to me. I sent, when she said about being brave, I sent a card to one of our teenagers who was really going up against tremendous challenges and I was just so impressed by their bravery to keep pressing even in the midst of tremendous opposition. And, I, and so I sent this card to them. This is the cover. Obviously, I didn't put the, the inside, but if you could show the cover of the card. Because it reminded me of what Amanda said. If we can be brave enough to see the kind of church that doesn't live in offense, the kind of church that walks in forgiveness, can we be brave enough to be, be what? Be a reconciler. I want to close with this. Friday, we were in midnight prayer from midnight to four. And it's a powerful time, just powerful time of praying the things that God wants done. And, and then when we, we got to this season again of God dealing with us all week in both morning prayer and, and social justice prayer about forgiveness and releasing and stop being offended. And as some folks were weeping, and my, my wife, Lady Common, she said, I need to say something. And she poured out a, a, a prayer or a confession of forgiveness, and she was weeping about how we, as our generation, can pass on the spirit of offense to another generation. What was frightening that happened in our church? And, and, and these things, I'm talking about our church. It was easy to talk about this church and that, or the church, but there were two little children who were, I guess they were walking out of the the, the service. And one child, they both saw an adult. One child, this is a true story, one child said, hello. And the adult responded. And then as the two children kept walking, the child who said hello looked at the other child and said, why did you say hello? And the child responded, oh, my parent doesn't talk to that person. So that's why I didn't say hello. Is that what we're going to pass down to the next generation? How to be artful in being offended? 
but I don't like the music, so I'm offended. I don't like the way the young people are leading, so I'm offended. I don't like the way Bishop preaches, so I'm offended. I'm a, like, like, I don't like what color they wear, because I'm offended. You see, my wife and I, we have our sport, our sport, um, and you can come up, honey. Our sport is, we like watching people. That's just a sport. We like watching people. But it turned from just watching them to criticizing. Why are they wearing this? No. Why is she with him? Why is he with her? And the Lord said, stop it. Stop it. So my wife shared a, an apology that was so powerful that that Saturday morning that young people emailed her and put in the chat, they said, thank you, Lady Common. You don't know how healing that was. And I was talking, we were praying this morning. I said, you know, hon, I know we did it in midnight prayer. There's about 30, 35 people, but maybe you can do it again because thank God for Sister Arit. She's like our scribe and she, she, she wrote down word from word what Lady Common shared on Friday, on Saturday morning. And so, Lady Kama, I'm going to ask you to read what you said, after which we're just going to pray. And there's not really a whole lot of talk that needs to be done after, other than the fact that you have eight more days of this consecration. And I, 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 I only implore you to make some stuff right. Even right now, as I was as I was speaking, you know who you have an attitude with. You know who you have hurt. You know who you offended with. You know how there's some things that you left undone. Some of you, it's right in your home, husband, wife, parent, child, uh, uh, siblings, you know. This is not just limited to this congregation called Pentecostal Tabernacle. This stuff, stuff you know. Let's do some cleaning up so that when revival comes, there'll be no thing that hinders God from what he wants to do. I challenge you to make things right in Jesus' name. To all the young adults, that are in our church, I want to publicly apologize for the times that we have failed you, for the times that we did not make ourselves available to you, for the times you felt like we were unapproachable. I'm speaking about all the mother and father figures that you would look up to at PT. And maybe I'll include the aunties, maybe some of the aunties and the uncles, grandparents. I want to apologize for not believing in you, not seeing your potential or your gifts. I apologize for not seeing that we have the opportunity to nurture you, to cover you, to come alongside you. So I want to apologize 
for appearing judgmental at times for things you may have done or said. I want to apologize for not praying for you the way we needed to be praying for you consistently. I want to apologize for not making time for you. I want to apologize for thinking sometimes they think they know it all. They don't need us or want us. I apologize for that attitude. You are our future. You are the next in line. So forgive us for not doing right by you. And I, and I ask the Lord to help us moving forward to help you all succeed so that you will be able to take the baton from us and that we will know that we've done our best to help you and assist you. Father, we just come to you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for how you have spoken to us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. You're such a loving father that you have to correct us at times. You have to rebuke us at times. You have to discipline us at times. And Lord, we want to please you. So Lord, even as we would enter into this last week of our consecration, of our fasting, Lord, that you would continually speak to us. And Lord, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us to yield ourselves to you? Yield ourselves to you, to give you right away. Say, come Holy Spirit and do what only you can do in our lives, in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you convict and convince us that you really do know best and what you desire from us as, your, as a people, as your children. Lord, I know there's so many things that you desire to do in us and through us and for us in this year. And as Bishop said, that we cannot think about doing justice to others on the outside if we are not operating in justice on the inside with one another. So, Lord, we simply come to you. We simply come to you and ask for your help. We cannot do this. We have seen we cannot do this on our own. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us. That's why you were sent. You were sent to lead us and guide us into all truth. You were sent, Holy Spirit, to walk alongside us, to, to, to uh, bring us to that place that we would surrender and submit to the Father. So, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on your children. Because we want to be able to, as I said, pass on 
what you have entrusted to us, to others, to the next generation. Lord, I pray for every leader of this church because everything falls, rises and falls on leadership. And as Bishop said, the anointing flows from the head down. So, Lord, I pray for every leader that start there with the leaders, with the head. Father God, that you will help us. If you point out people in our lives that we need to go to, speak to, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for your grace, God, to help us. You didn't leave us alone, but you were sent. You provided grace. You provided everything that we need. You have equipped us. So it is our choice. It is our choice. So Holy Spirit, help us to make the right choice. So that what you want to do in Pentecostal Tabernacle, as we call it, PT Global, that it will be done. There are victories to be won, Lord. There are uh, uh, great things that take place, Father God, through us. And we don't want anything to stop us or to block us or to hinder us. We are in 2021, God. And we want to say, not on our watch, God. Not on our watch, Lord. We will intercede. We will step in. We'll stand in the gap. We'll do whatever we need to do. Whatever you tell us to do, Lord, we will do it, God. Because we want to please you. We want to hear, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servants. So, Lord, we thank you. We come to you. Humbly, we come to you. We submit ourselves to you. Thank you for your love for us, God. Keep doing what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, oh God. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I bless you.